Hey, thrilled to have you in God's house this morning. I have been doing a series the last few weeks called Supernatural. You may look in your Bible this morning, Genesis chapter 8 and Joshua chapter 5. The word supernatural in our vernacular today, basically, it came from a Latin word in about 1600, the 1600s, supernalis. And it basically means anything that happens outside of natural laws and processes that you would ascribe to God. That's an interesting word. The word supernatural is not in the Bible. Uh, no translations have it. A couple paraphrases. But yet the idea of the supernatural, that is, that God's involvement in everyday life was a part of the fabric of the Bible and a part of Western civilization until the Enlightenment. In the Enlightenment, in this age of reason, when science began to replace faith, and science, not in the sense of of good science. I mean, good science, what it does is it seeks to explain how God has ordered the world. Medical science seeks to explain how, the human, how God has created the human body. But what modern science does, it somehow come to the conclusion in its arrogance, is that when we can figure out how God did something, then we don't need Him anymore because we've figured it out. And it's a tragic thing, but it's given birth to something called naturalism. And when we talk about the idea of supernatural, not everybody believes in it. If you're schooled in, super, in, uh, in, in, in evolutionary thought, if you, if you believe there is no God, uh, then you are what's called someone that believes in naturalism. Naturalism uh, doesn't believe in God, therefore there's no supernatural. This week, if you noticed that uh, there was a Christian doctor and nurse that got Ebola. Remember, they were treated, uh, I think, at Emory University there in Atlanta. They walked out this week, and they were cured. It was a new experimental drug, and thank God, and it worked. Well, when he came to the microphone, he was a dedicated Christian with Samaritan's Purse, and uh, he came to the microphone, and he gave glory to God. He said, it was a miracle, and I thank God for God healing me. And Twitter just blew up by, and saying, listen, uh, what do you mean God healed you? The medicine healed you. Because you see, they don't see God's hand even in the development of medicine. I would suggest to you that every form of technology that we enjoy today has been around since the creation of the world. People just discovered it. And when they discovered it, we are revealing what God's done. Well, uh, so some people believe uh, that uh, a supernatural creation happened. God created everything. That's the best explanation. But they believe God just walked away. There's nothing supernatural happened after that. Other Christians, cessationists, many of us were schooled in a thought that said uh, supernatural things happen in the Bible. All the miracles of the Bible are true, but, but they don't happen any longer. Uh, the rest of us, hopefully you're like me, I'm what's called a biblical literalist, which means that I literally believe the teachings of the Bible. And for example, if I'm sick, you know, I go to a doctor, I take medicine, but the first thing I do is I go to God. The first thing I'll do is I'll go and have someone pray for me because the Bible teaches about the power of prayer. So someone that literally believes the Bible will allow the Bible to speak into modern-day circumstances, not just for head knowledge, but literally to, to shape our life and build our life upon. Well, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit as the source of supernatural power. But this morning, I want to talk about a subject called supernatural provision. This message is entitled Supernatural Provision. And it talks about how God takes care of us. Now, I want to build a little broader platform before I get into the message. Uh, Genesis chapter 8, God made a promise to Noah. Noah is off the ship. Uh, you know, God's preserved the human race. Uh, they see this rainbow in the sky. And God makes a promise. He said, while the earth remains. Now, the Bible teaches us that one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. 
Peter wrote that the current earth is going to be burned with fire one day. Now, I believe that we need to take care of our planet. We need to pick up the paper and not pollute. But, but some people go too far in their care and concern for the planet. Listen, how many know people are more important than bald eagles? People are more important than, you know, sea turtles. People are more important than whatever it is. Now, animals matter, but, but they were not created in the image of God people were. And there is a philosophy in the world today that basically says we have too many people and nature is more important than God. Uh, that, that nature is more important than people. You see, when we lose a biblical worldview, we lose perspective. Well, I care about the planet, but one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But the promise God made to Noah was, while this earth remains, and I want you to say this with me, seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, the seasons, day and night, the 24-hour cycle, it shall not cease. Now, I want to focus first on the idea of seed time and harvest. In other words, this process whereby a piece of corn is placed into the ground in the springtime, and if it's placed in the ground in mid to late March, sometimes early April, that one piece of corn will grow up into an ear of corn that I have been cooking lately. I love uh, uh, corn on the cob. And somehow that one seed of corn became 300 seeds of corn on an ear. That piece of corn didn't become an okra plant, or you might throw it out. Uh, that seed of corn didn't become a string bean. It became corn. And God basically is saying in this passage that I'm the one that's responsible for that process. God programmed the plant, this lifeless seed, to become what it is. So God is behind that. So uh, it, it, God is responsible for the, the food chain, even though people work the field. Here again, God's responsible for the food chain even though someone has to go through it and plant it, cultivate it, harvest it, drive the truck to Albertsons, come on. Bring the food to Applebee's and cook the food. God is responsible for the food. That's why we pray and then go to work. Because there's a process that works together, God's part and our part. That's why when we pray, thank you for our daily bread, we're recognizing that God gave us the food. That's why it's important that we pray over our food. It is in engendering this confidence in God. So in a very real sense, all the provision, all that we have comes from God. Scripture says it's in Him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. Colossians says it's through Christ that all things are held together. He is the force that binds the atom together. Christ is the one that causes the sun to burn and not burn out, the earth to rotate around the sun at just the precise point on its axis. Jesus holds all things together. Now, if everything we, come, uh, we have comes from God, even though we're working to produce it, uh, there was a, a, an interesting comment made uh, a year or so, a year and a half or two years ago. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, she was running for Senate, and she popularized the phrase, you didn't bill that. It's picked up by our president. And the phrase basically was, was, was in, in the push for bigger government and the role of government that, listen, you entrepreneur, you business person, you didn't build the roads and the railroads and all that. Well, I would like to tell Ms. Warren that the government contractor is not the only one responsible for that road. God was the one that gave that contractor gravel. Come on. God was the one that gave that contractor the elements of cement to form concrete so they could build the road. It's not is it the individual, is it the group or the government, but God is behind all these things. 
So I'm trying to develop in your thinking that God is a providing God for us. And, and, and what we uh, see as supernatural is not just the you know, winning the lottery kind of provision, but it's, it's everyday things that God does. Now, Joshua chapter 5, let's again draw this thought together. Joshua 5, 12, the children of Israel under Moses had been in the wilderness for 40 plus years, and God supernaturally fed them with manna. Now, manna was, if you can imagine, Cheerios. Every morning they'd get up and there would be Cheerios all over the ground. It would be like dew, and they would get enough for the day. It would be steak-flavored manna and chicken-flavored manna, vegetarian manna, come on, whatever, you know, honey manna, whatever, whatever it may be. But anyway, they would get this. But, so notice what happened, though, when they stepped into the promised land. Joshua 5:12. it says the manna ceased. This supernatural provision stopped after they ate of the produce of the land. In other words, the grain and the vegetables and the fruits. So there was supernatural provision in manna that lasted 40 plus years, and then there was natural provision that came through seed time and harvest, but God was behind both of them. Hear that. God is behind the supernatural provision, and God is behind the daily provision that comes through the processes of seed time and harvest. Now, and this is something else interesting that I've pondered for many years. Supernatural provision stopped when natural provision became available. And you may wonder sometimes, why don't I see more miracles? Perhaps it's because God has given so much in terms of natural provision, be it through medicine, be it through, through agriculture, whatever the case may be. Just a, a thought there. But let me read you a little quick testimony, and, and I'm going to launch into the, my message with that foundation. One of our church members sent this to me a couple days ago. She said, I was going to the store, and I was going to buy something last week. But before I parked the car, I asked the Lord to give me a break with the price. Anybody ever done that? Come on, everybody has. Asked the Lord to give me a break with the price. Well, she's in a truck. She opens the door in the parking lot. She looks on the ground, and there's a $5 off coupon to the exact store she's going to laying at her feet. And then she says, God is good all the time. Boy, she sure was lucky. I bet you she had her rabbit's foot that day. That's not what she said. She said, I prayed, and God answered that prayer, and that was more than likely in a supernatural way. You can say, yeah, well, you know, somebody cut it out, and the wind accidentally blew it. Yeah. You remember the testimony last two weeks ago about the missile in Israel, come on, from Hamas, that blew out to the ocean, and the Israelites, Israeli uh, officers stood up and said, there is a God. This couldn't happen on its own. You couldn't blow that missile that far that quickly. See, God intervenes in little ways and big ways. And in this series, I'm trying to cultivate in you, I hope, a faith to believe that God will work supernaturally in my life. So with that kind of background now, uh, let, me, let me first talk a moment about, about work. Because the Bible teaches that God expects us to work and take care of ourselves. When I say supernatural provision, listen, uh, faith is no substitution for not working. Having faith is not a substitute for not getting up and going to work or going to school or whatever the case may be. Work is God's idea. Let's read about Adam. Did you know when Adam was created, he had a job? He had a job to tend the garden. The, the, the neat thing about it, though, is he never got hot. He never got blisters. There were never thorns. There were never stickers. There were never mosquitoes. There were never copperheads. None of that stuff was there. But he had a job to tend that garden. You see, work is not a four-letter word. Well, it is a four-letter word, but I mean it's not one of the other kind of four-letter words. 
Work is the means whereby God intends you to become fully the person he's created you to be. Uh, you've heard the phrase, if you can find something you love to do and you do for nothing, then let that be your job and you'll never have to work a day in your life. See, we have in our mind that work is a bad thing, it's an evil thing, but work is the means whereby God gives us self-expression. If you're, if you're a coach and you, and you love to, to, be, to you know, see young men, young girls reach their potential on the athletic field and you've got an ability to motivate them. Listen, there's just some people that are cut out to be coaches. You know, other people that are, that, that are landscapers. I mean, they just love to play in the dirt. When they get done working, they go home and work on their own garden. I mean, they just, they love it. And that's the way that, that's what we should ideally find to do, something that we are passionate about doing. Listen, if you, if the only person you want to see is the person that brings you your paycheck, you probably shouldn't be a teacher. You know, uh, we're just different. I mean, some of us are very technical. Some of us are very detailed. Uh, some of us don't even know how to spell detail. But we are so creative, we can create a masterpiece out of nothing. Well, you don't want to take that kind of personality and put them in, in, in an accounting environment where all they do is do ledgers every day. Uh, they'll go postal on you. you. You want to find the place that God's created you, who you are. See, that's part of our Connect class. What we do is we help people take spiritual gift class and, and help them be able to figure out how God wired them and head them in that direction. Well, but Genesis 3.19, God told Adam after the fall, after sin came in the world, he said, by the sweat of your brow, you'll have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. Now we add something to his job. There's going to be some sweat. This is the negative part. There's going to take some discipline. You know, you're going to bang your finger if you're a carpenter. Or you're going to shoot a nail in your hand. I mean, you know, th there's just some things about work now that are not going to be fun. But you're going to need to do it anyway because that's the way most of your provision will come. And look at the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians 3. Uh, Paul writes, he said, I, I give you this suggestion. And see, when I misquote the Bible, it's not because I'm stupid. I'm trying to get a reaction here. You're supposed to say, no. Okay, so let's try that again. Here we go. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. We gave you this command. Oh, we gave you this suggestion. And then he said, those who are not willing to work will not get to eat. What does that mean? How many like to eat first? Let me see your hand. You have a conflict, though, going on if you don't like to work, unless you live in America today, because there's a different philosophy that's a non-biblical philosophy that's at work in our, in, our, in our land today. Listen, notice the phrase where he said, those that are unwilling to work. Now, there, you can be able, in other words, able body and able mind, but unwilling. It's called laziness. And that's different from being willing but being unable. Some people are willing to work, but they can't find a job. Other people are willing to work or they're disabled. Some people are willing to work or they're, you know, they're 85 years old or, 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 you know, whatever. I read the other day there was a guy 101 or 102 years old, and he celebrated his birthday at his job. He was still working. Oh, wow. uh, but anyway, disability and Social Security were originally designed to help us when we can't help ourselves. Now, the flip side of this, though, uh, Proverbs 13, 4, lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will, will prosper. Now, the Bible does not guarantee that everyone will drive a Rolls Royce, okay? It does not guarantee everyone will have their own airplane. Everyone could probably buy a model airplane at Walmart, but it doesn't guarantee that you're going to have your own private jet. 
We make choices in life. You know, we are wired in certain ways, and we bring ourselves to some level of, uh, of existence, and we're to be content with that. But laziness, if I could talk to it just a moment, to be lazy means to be able to work but unwilling to work. To be lazy means to be unwilling to exert the effort to get out of bed, to apply for the job, or to stack the stuff when it's hot outside. Proverbs 10.4, it says, lazy people are soon poor. My dad uh, was a strong believer that his, his, uh, his uh, son, I was his first, uh, was not going to be lazy. <laughs> we lived on a farm, and uh, from the time I could walk around and do things, I was carrying a bucket out to the barn, or I was feeding this or feeding that. When I was about 10, I was driving the tractor, and uh, he'd get me up a little four seven, and the first time he'd say, get up, and the second time he'd say something else. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and he would help me get up. But, but I was, buddy, I was sitting on that tractor, and, uh, you know, at the time, I hated it. Yeah, I, I did to him the same thing my children did to me. I remember when I was trying to teach my oldest son to work. Uh, he was, I don't know, he was a teenager, and, you know, there's not much work to do, you know, for young kids today. It's a sad thing. But anyway, his job was to rake our playground out there, then the pine cones and the, and the, uh, and the uh, gumballs. Uh, you almost heard a preacher cuss many years ago trying to get a 14-year-old to rake that. Why do I have to? Nobody else has to. Why do I have to? And we're both bucking up at each other. I'm glad the policeman didn't come by. Well, we kind of continued on that track, and my wife will verify this. We had plenty of gumball trees. It gave them plenty to do. When we landscaped the front, we were rocking the front of the, uh, front of the church, and... Um, the landscape beds, and a landscaper from, uh, from Magnolia was doing it. And she came over here, and it happened to be an August afternoon, and it was hot as the dickens outside. And I was having him clean up that afternoon in the hot. And she was so impressed by him, got to talking to him. She said, uh, where are you going to school? And he said, I'm going to Magnolia. She said, you are. That's where my business is. I'll hire you. And she hired him right on the spot simply because he was out there working. And then he got his act together. He got, a, he got a bachelor's degree in accounting. At the same time, he got a job from an accountant because of the favor of the Lord. Now, listen, this is where the supernatural comes in. Not just because he was the smartest, best-dressed, or well-connected. He had mom and dad praying because they were going to give the job to one person in that class. Guess who got it? So he got his 2,000 hours. He took his test. Then he went and got an MBA right after that. And he's having a life. He's living life now. I said, what are you doing this weekend, son? He said, well, I'm cooking ribs. Uh, tonight we're eating at P.F. Chang's. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to cook ribs, go to church tomorrow night, and then go trout fishing on Sunday. And I thought, what a life. <laughs> Do you know where it started? Somebody taught him to work. Now, there's something about this because lazy people, listen, uh, despite their desires, lazy people will come to ruin for their hands refuse to work. 26.14, as a door swings back and forth on its hinges, the lazy person turns over in bed. I'm preaching better than you're amening here. For several generations, our government has been assuming the role of God. Now stay with me. I'm grateful as an American that if I'm ever at a place where I don't have food to eat or a place to lay my head, come on, or I cannot work or provide my medical care, I'm grateful I live in a nation where there's a support system for me. Come on, everybody say praise the Lord for that. But something has happened. Politicians say, if you vote for me, I'll take care of you. Now listen. And they have created several generations of people dependent on the government for crumbs. Because here's the problem. You'll never live the life you want to live dependent on somebody else. When they talk about means-tested types of welfare, do you realize there's 103 million people that 
are, are receiving benefits in that fashion. You add Social Security, you add uh, disability, it's 150 million of us. That's half of our nation. And listen, if you can't get it on your own, thank God there's something for you. But I'm telling you, if you buy into the mentality and they say you can only make so much money for us to give you this, you're going to find you're either going to have to do without because you want more or you're going to have to do what most people do. You're going to have to lie. You're going to have to play the system. Come on. Because laziness then will keep you from moving that aside and going to become the person God's created you to be. That'll help you if you lay hold of that. Um, what this does, this mentality, this innocent thing that started good, that become, became corrupt, it robs us of initiative, it robs us of dignity, it robs us of responsibility, and it robs us of the prosperity God intended to come from work. That's pretty good. All right, so with that kind of background now, let me talk about supernatural provision. Because most of your provision is going to come through the labor of your hands and the favor of God. I have watched people. They're, but listen, they're, let's just say you've got two people, and, and they're both good business people. You know, they work hard. They got the same degrees on the wall, blah, blah, blah. But one just seems to be constantly getting ahead. And the reason this one constantly gets ahead because of the favor of the Lord. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. Come on. See, you can only go so far in your own strength and energy, but how many know we all need God to smile on us? Well, His smile is supernatural. You know, you may think, well, it's your marketing technique. It's your, it's your, you know, your willingness to go talk to strangers or whatever. Listen, you better get on your knees just a second, buddy, because as you're climbing the prosperity letter, you better realize that everything I have, everything I'll ever be or do is because of Jesus. See, that's humility, and God will promote the humble, but he'll tear down the pride. So, so, so favor is what we're talking about here. But, but how do we open the door for supernatural provision? Now, let me, let me talk about even moving beyond work. But I'm talking about things that you can't create on your own or do on your own, but yet God just does something for you. Uh, how do we do this? Now, again, as I said a couple weeks ago, you can't force God to act. Your faith is not like a lever that you pull that, you know, the little candy falls out of the deal. But what our faith and obedience do is it opens a door. If you can imagine like a, 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 the, the drawbridge on the old castle moat, your drawbridge in faith and obedience invites God to come across. And that's our position because God is sovereign, not our faith. Let me say it again. God is sovereign, not whatever we might do. You see, many people want to embrace this, and this is a dangerous theology. Many people would embrace the theology that if I just have faith and believe God and do the right thing, I'll never have any problems, I'll never be sick, and, and, and nothing bad will ever happen to me. Now, look, i got news for you. In the book of Revelation we've been reading as a church, it's a bloody book. There's a lot of people that are beheaded for the name of Jesus. If you don't take the mark of the beast, my friends, you're going to have an early trip to heaven. Come on. So, so it, 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 you be careful what you make absolutes in the Scripture. So when I say faith gives God an invitation to come across, listen, we're still living content with whatever God gives us. We have ambitions and dreams for more, but we're living content with what we have. Now, let's talk about some people that open this door of the supernatural. Matthew 17, the first, I'll give you three. The first way to open the door is through faith and obedience to God's Word. Matthew 17, now Matthew was a tax collector before he became Jesus' uh, apostle. Uh, he's the only one that records this story of the four Gospels. Matthew 17, 24, the collectors of the temple tax. Now, that's the, I, excuse me, that's the IRS agents of their day. 
The temple tax was required in the book of Exodus. It was required and it was equivalent to two days of labor for every male over 20. And its purpose was to take care of the, of the, of the temple or the church building in their day. So these IRS agents came to Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? So they've been watching them, you see, as itinerant teachers and, and, and a group. Well, Peter quickly said, well, yes, he does. Uh, so Jesus asked Peter, he said, well, what do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or the people they've conquered? And Peter said, well, they tax the people they've conquered. Well, then, Jesus said, the citizens are free. And you think, what in the world does that mean? Isn't Jesus the king? And aren't his followers the citizens? And didn't Jesus just say, the king is going to be responsible for taking care of the citizens? Didn't he say in Matthew 6, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things will be added to you. It doesn't mean they're coming to the mailbox, but he's going to see that they're added to you as you live your life. Well, with that context, verse 27, Jesus said, however... We don't want to offend them, so let's go down. Oh, so you go down to the lake and throw in a line. Now, he's talking to a professional fisherman. I have fished with professional fishermen in my life. When they come up to the bank, listen, their whole boat will be covered in fish. They take those hoop nets, gill nets, whatever they do. They bait them. They catch catfish, and the boat is just like, you know, it's like that, that TV show about the swamp people and the alligators. I mean, they know how to do it. So over the course of Peter's lifetime, he has caught hundreds of thousands of fish. If he's in his 30s, 40s, I mean, he's fished all his life. Uh, notice what Jesus said, how we're going to pay our tax bill. He didn't say use a net. He didn't say use a wiggly worm or he didn't say use a topwater lure. He said something that uh, only could come out of the mouth of Jesus. Open the, uh, go down to the lake, throw in a line, open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you'll find a large silver coin. <laughs> Take it and pay the tax for both of us. Now, do you think Peter might have thought, okay, Rabbi, I'm the fisherman. How many people have ever, uh, how many people have fished in your life? Let me see your hand. Yeah. How many of you have caught a fish and it had money in its mouth? $5 bill? $10 bill? You're fibbing, ma'am. Uh, <laughs> coins. It's just not possible. So now, you remember what I said, open the door? Faith and obedience to God's word. So now you have a professional fisherman thinking, well, am I going to do what he said or am I not? Everything within me says it won't work. It's impossible. But Jesus told me to do it. And you know the story. <laughs> it happened. Now, now that's supernatural. Come on, that's not through the natural processes of life. That's supernatural. Now, is it possible that God could do that for us? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you literally believe your Bible? He's the, and if he did it for them, he could do it for us if the need is arised. Now, that's the only time recorded in the Bible that happened. But something like that can happen to me. So my advice to you from this particular passage is, is if you're praying about something and seeking God and you feel God tells you to do it, then, my friend, do it by all means. You do it and you trust God because something supernatural can happen. Come on, give the Lord. Give the Lord a good hand. Let me give you a second example now from 2 Corinthians 9. And the second example of something supernatural happening, the Bible teaches us in the Old and New Testament that our giving can open the door of supernatural provision. Our giving, our tithe, our offering, our, our helping the poor. Scripture says, He who lends to the Lord, uh, lends to the poor, gives to the poor, lends to the Lord, and the Lord will do what? 
repay him for what he's done. That's supernatural. Now stay with me on this because I realize this has been abused. And so often what happens is when we have been abused by something in the Bible, we close our ears to it. We've been exposed to one extreme, we go to the other extreme. So I would just like to ask you if today, if you could tear the old page out and just read this passage with me, and I don't want a thing from you, but God might use this to bless you supernaturally. Now, Peter's, or Paul is raising money for the suffering believers in Jerusalem, and he's going from, to different churches. Well, here's what he says in the, in the letter to the Corinthians. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, now, he's going he's to make parallels between agriculture and the farmer and people that are giving. He said, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap how? Generously. In other words, this simple truth is this. Just like God multiplies the farmer's seed, God said, or Paul said that God would bless us in proportion to our level of giving. Now, let me say this very quickly. Giving to God is not a gimmick. And if you never got... Listen, I give to God primarily for two reasons. To honor Him, come on, because I love Him, and to obey Him because the Word teaches it. Now listen, I have faith to believe that God will bless me in return, but I don't give to get something from God. Come on. That's very immature, and that's very hedonistic and selfish. This is not a gimmick. You know, gimmicks are something like this. Uh, yesterday, I'm in my yard working, and I was a long-distance phone call. Didn't recognize the number, and I thought, well, okay. And I get this pre-recorded message, and it said, I remember the, time, the first time that I took the opportunity to listen completely to the message you're about to hear. And I thought, okay, go ahead. And they said, I'm about to teach you how, with just a few minutes investment each week, that you can, you can automate a process, and you'll receive thousands of dollars a week. And I thought about it, and I said, if you're making thousand dollars a week by automating something, why are you wasting time calling me? So I hung up. That is a gimmick. All right. Jesus said this, Luke 6, 38. Give and... If I literally believe the Bible... Every time I gave some offering or every time I extended aid to somebody, would I perhaps say that to myself? Thank you, Lord, that as I give today, you said I would receive. Jesus went on to say, you're going to be given much. Because here's what we think. If I give something to you or if I give something to whatever, the church or God's work, if I have ten and I give away two, then I only got eight. But the Bible says ten, your math class says ten minus two equal eight. But in God's math, it could be 10 minus 2 equals 13. And not just in the world of political correctness so we don't hurt your feelings. I mean in the real world of blessing. Jesus said this, uh, the way you give to others is the way God will give to you. Do I literally believe the Bible? The way I give to others is the way God will give to me. Now, Proverbs eleven twenty four: give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Again, I'm not trying to give you a gimmick, but I'm trying to tell you something in the Bible that connects supernatural provision. Didn't Malachi 3 tell the tithers that God would open the windows of heaven, come on, pour out a blessing, and rebuke the devourer? It's the Bible. But we resist this. Ooh, it's, hard for, it's very hard for me to talk about anything to do with money in church because I don't like to talk about it, and it just, it just kind of... I'm going to believe this. Um, look at verse 7. Each of you should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
Now look at verse 8. I want you to say this with me. God is able to bless you abundantly. Now, that's true if you are rolling in the dough and can go anywhere you want to for lunch, or that's also true if you have just gone bankrupt and the judge has distributed everything you have, or just gone through divorce court and everything you have, or just lost your job, or just run out of unemployment. That's a verse that I would want to turn to. God can bless me abundantly. Someone came up to me between the services and said with tears in their eyes, can I tell you a quick testimony? And she, she said her story. She'd just gone through a divorce, and it was terrible. She said, I didn't have any money. I was losing this. I was losing that. And she, without going into too great detail, she said, uh, um, $100 just kind of came in my hands. And she's got tears running down her face about a need that she had. And I said, where did it come from? She said, it is the weirdest thing. The bank doesn't know, and I don't know, and blah, blah, blah. Is it just possible that God is able to bless us that no matter what's going on around us? And, 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 and my simple belief that it's possible. So, anyway, uh, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. It's always good to ask yourself, something that God puts your in your hand, is this seed for me to give or is it food for me to consume and eat and enjoy? Because how many know you don't want to eat your seed? You want to plant your seed. But God is the source. And listen to what the Scripture says. God will supply and increase your store of seed. Why did he even say this? Because he's raising an offering, Paul the Apostle, for the needy saints in Jerusalem, for the debt that the you know, Gentiles owe to the Jews. He's raising an offering to help them. And he's telling them, you will open a door of the supernatural provision of God. And notice what it says. He said, God will increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your bank account. So, again, giving is not a gimmick, and it's not giving to get, but he uses the word righteousness because not only the words that we say can help people for Christ, but you can invest your monies, come on, in Christ-honoring projects. My wife told me, she said, I was scared to buy 25 tickets for Mexico, and, uh, you know, whatever they are, seven, $800, we're going on our trip. She told me between services, it's already full. And people are going to go and spend seven or $800, come on, and they're going to take a week of their time, of their precious vacation, and they're going to go serve the, the, the Indians in Mexico. And you know who's going to be the most blessed when they leave? The 25 people that left there. Because it's going to do something dramatic in their heart. Well, the Bible calls it, it righteousness. Well, let's move on. Let me, let me wrap this up. Philippians chapter 4. I told you I'd give you three ways to open the door. Faith and obedience to God's Word. The second one is your giving to, 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 to Christian opportunities. But here's the third one. I'm just going to use the word a kingdom purpose. Our participation in a kingdom purpose. Uh, have you ever heard the scripture, Philippians 4:19? Uh, it says, My God shall yeah, supply all your needs, or he supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, how many are old enough to have had promise boxes in your household? Let me see your hand here. Yeah, a few of us. Well, what a promise box was is that somebody selectively cherry-picked scriptures out of the Bible and cut them out in little pieces. And it was a great idea. And you put them in a little container on your table, and you know, for you, after you said prayer, you'd read a scripture. Well, it's great, but let me tell you this. This scripture does not mean this to everybody. And you try to cherry-pick a scripture like this, and, and it doesn't work in your life, and you say, well, oh, God must not be true. Bible must not be true. All that preacher wanted was my money. And blah, 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 blah. Come on. 
But how many know verse 19 was written after verse 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18? Let me tell you who he said that to. Back in verse 14. Now, mind you, Paul was the one that God supernaturally chose to plant churches all in the Mediterranean world. Paul is the one that, that brought Gentiles, which are non-Jews, into the kingdom of God. And that's most of the world today. There's less than a million Jews, I think, in the whole world. Uh, and, and there are, there are what is it, six billion people. So most people are Gentiles. Paul was the guy that God used to start the gospel spreading among the Gentile world. Now, wouldn't you say that that's a big kingdom enterprise? Now, listen to what Paul said to the Philippians in this letter. He said, it was good that you helped me when I needed it. Now, their help probably was broad in several different ways. He was not married, he was, he, so he was, a, he, was a, he was a single by choice man. It was good you helped me. For you Philippians, remember that when I first preached the good news there, when I left Macedonia, you were the only church that gave me help. Now, this obviously includes financial, but it could be, you know, I need somebody to help me pack my bags. Somebody needs to make the reservation on the ship. I mean, it was a lot of things, but it was a kingdom investment. Uh, you're the only church that gave me help. Look at verse 16. Several times you sent me things I needed when I was in Thessalonica. So it was an ongoing support of this, of this valid missions work that connect, God had connected them. And he said, now look at verse 17. It's not that I want to receive gifts from you. Isn't that refreshing? It's not that I want your money. Paul said this, and I want you to say this with me. I want you to have the good that comes from giving. I want you to get the benefit of giving. And what in the world could that benefit be? Verse 19. My God shall supply every one of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Is it just possible that that is not just financial, but that is the blessing of righteousness, come on, that he talked about? Because they're participating in a kingdom venture. And Paul's words to them was, God's going to open a supernatural door for you, and he's going to take good care for you because you cared about God's kingdom. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. I'm done today. Remember last week when we had our friend Jay Threadgill from Haiti that was here, and I, and I did something I rarely do because it's just, it, I totally understand it's awkward about money in church and all. But, but I did something I hadn't done in a long time, is after the service, we, we received a second offering and actually passed the plates down the aisle. Well, why did we do that? Number one, because there was a great need in what is arguably the greatest Christian ministry going on in the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere in Haiti. It, it, their, their, their minimum wage is $8 a day, and there's 50% unemployment. So we take it on. It's a sister church. So we, we did that to help them. But guess what the other reason I did it for? It's to help us. Because just like that scripture said, I want you to have the good that comes from giving. Because it's a kingdom venture that God has blessed, will bless, and blessing will also flow over to us. Come on, give him one more good hand today. The Lord's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? We're going we're gonna to close in prayer today. And don't turn off just yet. Don't, don't, don't let your stomach, you know, guide you just yet. I want you to give yourself just a couple minutes and just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this message? Just close your eyes a moment and say, Lord, what, what are you saying to me in this message?